God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the fearless Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? <laughs> fearless. You know, if I was still in the name it and claim it crowd, I would say I received that brother. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I don't always uh, feel fearless, let me tell you. <laughs> we are... Uh, about to have a conversation. All right, let me uh, a couple housekeeping things before we get going, because uh, if people listen to last week's episode, then they are expecting us to go into the covenant of works today, and um, that was the plan. And then there was a little something that happened down your neck of the woods. Uh, we had ourselves a gubernatorial election in Virginia, and so if you're here to learn about the covenant of works, stick around till next week because the episode we recorded is already recorded and ready to go uh, in the can. That'll show up next week, and we'll talk about the Covenant of Works, and we'll continue our work through systematic theology uh, and applying it to issues of justice and race and ethnicity and and all of the contentious issues of the day. But uh, last year, we had a kind of an election post-op episode, and because the gubernatorial election happened in Virginia, Lisa, where you live, yes. we're going to do another post-op. And, uh, and, and this, isn't, this isn't actually going to completely ignore what we're doing this season. It's actually tying a couple of seasons together. So, Lisa, how are we approaching this? Why are we going to have this conversation about uh, what is kind of a hot-button, controversial topic? Like, this right. is a fear-and-trembling type conversation. Right. So, I, I want to take us back. A little before, I mean, I could just dive in and talk about the election that just happened here. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to take us back to season two. Um, and you and I, you know, we started the season off. This is, of course, with COVID interrupted things mid season, but we started off talking about faith and politics and looking and looking at this question of how does our Christian convictions, our scripturally informed Christian convictions, influence how we understand politics. Um, and, you know, in, in each of us had an episode where I got to spell out how is it that I happen to lean right and how is it that you happen to lean left. We're looking at the same Bible. We yep. believe in the same orthodoxy. Amen. We, um, you know, when it comes to matter of orthopraxy, there may be some differences, but I think there's a lot we agree more than we disagree. A lot of common ground. Absolutely. A lot of common ground. Um, you know, what it means to love God and love neighbor. Um, but but our political persuasions lean in different directions. And what we came out of that it, before we got in, before COVID interrupted, because COVID interrupted a lot of things. It makes <laughs> it all up. All of it. But that's okay. That's okay. It's all good. Um, and so what we concluded is that there are reasons that Christians, you know, that, that Christians differ on this topic. And as long as we are upholding the principles of Scripture, as long as we're upholding biblical ethics, which, of course, you know, in, in each platform, there, there gets to be a rub with some of the things um, that each party kind of, you know, um, um, you know, has as its platform. There's, for there's instance, going to be disagreement with the platform right. no matter how we approach this. Right. right? I mean, for instance, the Democratic Party is just full on, you know, pro-abortion. Well, as all Christ the way. And and as Christians, you know, we know that that you know that's a problem. So, amen. So, anyways, um, so we talked, and and I want to kind of lay that framework 
in terms of how we, you know, view our politics. And so here's here's something that a friend of mine, a good friend of mine from seminary, unfortunately passed away um, earlier this year. Um, but he really helped me think through um, my political paradigm, right? So on one end, you have a, you know, you have a individual freedom. On the other end, you have equality. Now, not that, you know, somebody, it's not an either or, right? Anyone who holds to individual freedom, you know, ignores equality. And by equality, we basically mean equal outcomes, equity. Everybody has the same thing. Well, on, uh, you know, the further you go to the left, the extreme of that, of course, is communism. Um, the extreme to the right is libertarianism. And so there's this question, if we're looking at how, how does it, how, what does good government look like? Looking at through the grid of our Christian convictions, our scripturally informed Christian convictions, right? There are those who say there should be a greater emphasis on individual liberty so that there's no violation of conscience. And what you'll find is less, less of a reliance on government, more of a reliance on, um, community infrastructure, on, um, on business. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, there's more about, you know, leaning on government, the desire to have a bigger government, right? Christians can disagree on these right. things. You can, you know, have your convictions and disagree, but Absolutely. still recognize, and this is where I wanted to bring it to this season, because we've been talking about as we're going through this grid of systematic theology, how do we address the issues of our day, issues of race and justice? And of course, we're, we, you know, we have to talk about gender. How do we address that looking through this grid of systematic theology? And so where we are today is talking about the doctrine of man. And in the past episodes, we talked about, um, you know, how God made humans special above all other creation. Uh, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Right. And so we talked about the fact that we are rational uh, beings. We have a certain capacity to think through. And this is where it ties into our politics. Right. So we have the ability to kind of you know, we have scripture, we have our Christian convictions to think through, well, okay, so what kind of political paradigm is going to be best for human flourishing? And particularly when you get to this question of race, because of the racial um, history that we have in our country, right? So specifically for those who have been marginalized, what is it going to take for those people to flourish. And what you're going to find is that there is different thinking, right? When you, especially when you look at, well, is it, um, you know, do we give more, um, do we lean more towards individual freedom and, and create opportunities for people to flourish? Or do we want government to create solutions so that we have these equitable outcomes? And, but what, here's what we can't do. What we can't do is is erase the individual, right? We can't erase the individual and the individual's responsibility within the community. Or, you know, or you know, as we've talked about the creation mandate, the individual's responsibility to act positively and fruitfully, you know, in their environment. So that brings us to the Virginia election. So I told you I was going to get there. Dun, you got us there. You made it happen. <laughs> I made well it happen. Done. And here's the thing. Before we get into the Virginia election, just to give people a heads up, Lisa texted me today and said, hey, I may end up on my soapbox at some point during this episode. So I think we are headed towards soapbox territory when it comes to some of the reaction that people have had around this Virginia election. Um, Lisa, I I'm curious... Before we get to the aftermath, what was the lead up like? Because I think a, a lot of us who don't live in Virginia are relatively unaware of the way the campaigns were run, the messaging around the campaigns. What was it like living in Virginia in the lead up to this election? Well, oh boy. So, you know, there are a few different things going on. Um, one, you have a 
reaction or reflection on what's going on in the national level. Um, you know, Biden in office, right? Because that really ties into how we view the, you know, the Democratic platform in Virginia. The second thing is that the candidate who was running, he was a former governor, state constitution says that no, you know, governor can't hold consecutive offices. So you can hold the office, go away, and then you can, you know, you can come back and try to get reelected, which is what Terry McAuliffe um, tried to do. Um, But he, um, I I think in terms of his messaging, um, he kind of blew it. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not a Democrat, (laughs) but if I was a Democrat, I would be crazy like, man, come on, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a great campaign. He did not have a great campaign. He made every he made so much about the opposition to Youngkin about Trump, whereas Trump um, where Youngkin was really holding Trump at arm's distance. And I think that was a very smart move um, on his part. Right. Um, and. Yeah, and so then you also have this issue of what's going on in our schools. Um, Now, some, I I think it's a mixed bag, and and I I think we'll probably get into this in a little bit. Um, You know, this issue of CRT in the schools. And on one hand, you have people saying, well, there's this crazy Republican hysteria because people don't want to deal with issues of race. I don't think that that's entirely it. Um, I think that there are some legitimate concerns that parents are seeing going on in the schools with respect to how this issue of race is being addressed. Um, but then McAuliffe came out and said that parents really should stay out of what's what their children are learning. Big mistake, buddy. Yeah, that's just not ever like this is this gets to McAuliffe's poorly designed or poorly executed perhaps campaign Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is the kind of gaffe that can lose you an election and And people who are professionals at this should know that and you're right it did that was within the Mm -hmm. end sunk Mm -hmm. him right and also and i will say also uh you know just because of the impact of covid and what has gone on um you know with the economy um and i will say You know, so our current uh, governor, Ralph Northam, um, he's a Democrat and, you know, has a very progressive agenda. But I was I was relieved, to be honest, when after COVID happened and when states started putting in, um, you know, restrictions in terms of what you can and cannot do. um, I thought that his. his restrictions were actually very lenient, whereas, I mean, for, for a Democratic government, for a Democratic governor. Um, so, for instance, within, you know, by May, the executive order was that places of worship could operate at 50% capacity, whereas you had a lot of blue states that were, you know, that didn't happen until months to months many months later. later. And Don't here we are within two months because, and he had said publicly, because, you know, having worship was a very important thing. So I, you know, so I felt very relieved about, about that. But he also has um, really promoted some very progressive um, policies. And, you know, Virginia, so Virginia is really recently blue. It's really more of a purple state. Um, yeah, it's absolutely. only been the last couple of, um, past couple of general elections where it's gone blue. But it's not a solid, it's not a solid blue state. Well, and I think that's something that people need to remember uh, as they're kind of doing their post-op, post-mortems on this, um, on this election A purple state and a blue state are not the same thing. And a lot of pundits are saying, oh, this was a deeply blue state that swung to Yunkin. And that's just not the case because it's it's been a purple state. It is a battleground state now. And which means you, you have to politic in Virginia, being very aware of the diversity in Virginia. I was at a um, I was at a pastor's pastor tree. I've talked about this before. And um there is this interesting dynamic where if you live in northern Virginia, 
up close to D.C., it's almost as if you don't live in Virginia. Right. Like people in southern Virginia would say, ah, they're not really in Virginia. They're in D.C. Um, and so if you don't understand the dynamics of the state, the rest of Virginia is pretty dang conservative. Very red, yeah. And, and oh, man, again, it's just a, a misunderstanding of the nature of Virginia leads people to react in a way that's unhelpful when they're doing this kind of postmortem over an election. Right. Right. So, you know, so that leads to this election and, you know, the platform uh, that that won. Um, so you have uh, a political newcomer um, in Glenn Youngkin, the lieutenant. But let's talk about the lieutenant governor. Let's talk about this. Winsome Sears. Uh, I, I'm like, I like Winsome. Let's pause for a second here and just. You know what? Well done. Well done. Yeah. First time in Virginia's history, we have a black woman as as the lieutenant governor. That's huge. Yeah. And politics aside, I mean, I'll be honest. It was huge when Kamala Harris became vice president. Mm-hmm. It is huge when um, when Sears becomes lieutenant governor. Yes. That's it's fantastic, and we should be celebrating that. Even I mean, we can critique politics. That's fair game. Mm-hmm. But let's celebrate when celebration is it needs to be there. This was a big deal for Virginia. Right. It's awesome. And she she's a Jamaican immigrant. You know, she if you listen to her her speech um, on election night, she talked about how her father came here in 1964 at the height uh, 63 at the height of the civil rights movement with a buck seventy five. You know, because of what he what he saw America was in terms of opportunity. Wow. Right. And of wow. course, yeah. I believe that this has really influenced her politics to lean absolutely right to yep. lean more, you know, in let's give people individual freedom. And oh, by the way, I have to say this because there is a caricature out there, uh, a, a bubble I need to bust. Individual liberty does not mean necessarily individualism. Right. People who okay. hold to conservative values will tell you, you know, now there is a strain of that, that, you know, that goes that way. But for the most part, it's, there's acknowledgement that there are certain um, infrastructure, certain institutions that are, that are critical, the family, the church, schools, community, local community, which is why you'll find conservatives will put a lot more value on local government than on national government solutions. Um, so okay. we need we need to to not perpetuate that <laughs> that, caric- right. that caricature. Um, so you know, which to me it just explains. And she served in the military. She's a Marine. She married a Marine. Um, and you know, and again, it's this question of. And I understand that she is a Christian. Right. So, again, it goes back to this question of, you know, when you're thinking through, okay, what what is what is best for black people? Right. And so she's of the ilk that says the best thing for black people is to provide opportunities to not have the strong arm of government, you know, um, give equitable outcomes, but to create those opportunities so that you could do it yourself. This is what this is what is best, and there and there's a divide with you know when in 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 black politics about how that happens, and that's okay. I'm going to talk. I'm going to address that a little bit in a minute. But talking about the platform, so the attorney general. Well, it gets better. It gets better. So the attorney the attorney general is um, he's Cuban American uh, okay. American. His mom came here, I believe, as a refugee. Um, and I don't know if he, to be honest with you, I don't know. I I can't remember whether he was born here or whether he like when some Sears came here as a child, nonetheless, he's Latino and he is the first Latino to occupy this, this seat. So So yay again, bravo. (laughs) And, and also a Republican and also people are aware. So so you have the three most important positions, really, in a state government. Um, two of them are people of color. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And I also add 
um, that Youngkin was, is or or was, I, I'm not sure if he's still part of this church, the um, Holy Trinity Church in McLean, Virginia, uh, put together, I believe it was last year, in 220, uh, put together a statement against racism, which he signed with eight other leaders of the church. Um, and if you read the statement, it is, you know, it, it, it's pretty like there, there's no ambiguity. There's no wiggle room. And I say this because here, here, here's where I'm, I, I need to get on my soapbox a little and kind of tie all this together. You haven't been there yet? Okay. I haven't been all there. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Popcorn, well, I was, everybody. See, what I've been Popcorn. doing, I've been, what I've been doing, I've been climbing the stairs. Oh, okay. All <laughs> so right. I get it. Climbing the stairs. But now we've reached the top. Here now we we've reached the top. Dive in. I get that people don't, especially those who lean left, and especially those who are asking the specific question about what is best for minorities, what is best for Black people to flourish to have issues with conservative politics. I don't agree with it, but, you know, again, we can have these disagreements. What I absolutely find reprehensible is when you erase the individual, and we have talked about this, and we talked about this in our Image of God episode, where it becomes all about this collective unit so that the individual gets erased. And this is what I have seen happen with the outcome of this election, that it's been made all about white supremacy, even though Youngkin signed a statement against racism, right? And you don't, you don't hear anything in his speech that, you know, I, I think, you know, when we look at, when we look at Trump, right, there are things he has said where I can understand why people will say, oh, yeah, he's at least gives, gives a nod to racism, right? Okay. You don't, but you would see Yunkin as, as doing something totally different. You don't hear that. You don't hear okay. that with Yunkin. You have Winsome Sears, who's black, as she said in her speech, I've been black all my life. But that's not what this is about, right? And you have, um, you know, you have the attorney general. Myeris, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, Jason Myeris, um, who, you know, he just, you know, he acknowledges, you know, where he came from, where his mom came from, um, you know, very proud to be a Latino. Um, but these individuals and their accomplishments are getting erased because you don't agree with their politics. I'm sorry. But that, but that kind of erasure is really, it undermines what it means to be made in the image of God. Oh, and by the way, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Um, when you look at the, ra at the racial history in this country, in terms of, you know, what white, so here's what white supremacy did, right? It looked, it, it categorized people according to race, according to melanin. Oh, the, I'm sorry, let me qualify that. The false construct of race, right? And said, yet it assigned a, you know, a, cat, a, a classification to people that denied them, a, you know, denied as a group um, basic rights, basic citizenship rights, and built up caricatures of what this group as a whole is, right? And so, I mean, completely erasing the the individual. If you are in this group, then you, you know, this this is who you are. If we do the same thing with a political platform we don't like, and assign everything to racism and white supremacy, how are we not doing the same thing? And so, it really grieved me when I saw some of the reaction to the outcome of the election, you know, and again, it's like, come on, there are a lot of dynamics going in, you know, that were, that were part of this election and why people voted the way that they did to reduce everything 
down to white supremacy and race. It to me, it's it's lazy thinking, it's negligent, and you're really undermining the image of God, especially when you talk about individuals who, you know, again, you may not this you may not agree with their politics, but you know, have done something, have accomplished something, right? Give them their agency. You know, just acknowledge that you don't have to agree with the politics. So anyway, so that's all that's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I I think you know, there's a there's a dynamic, there's a conversation happening within the black community that I'm I'm listening to, that I'm seeing. Um I'm curious you are a black conservative when you see these kinds of responses to the victory that Sears had this week. Um, how do you feel, like? How does it make you feel as a black conservative? What, what's your reaction to these mm-hmm. kinds of of um, really hurtful and and basically hateful things that are being said about Sears? Mm-hmm. Um, it just sadness. I mean, like I said, agreement that grieves me, and that's why I kind of got on my soapbox a little bit because it's it's really denying. It's denying our agency. It's denying our ability to sit and think through what is what is, what is the best solution, right? What is the best paradigm in which you know to uh, promote human flourishing for Black folks? Um, you know, allow people to think differently than you do, and this is what I'm very concerned about the way that the the discourse is in our present environment is there's there's no allowance you are either if you don't agree with x y and z of this um you know socio-political paradigm you are endorsing white supremacy you are supporting racism um and, and that's not true like we need to think better about these kind of things well let me let me ask this question because i think that maybe um, the discourse around CRT is an important topic that has to come up here because CRT was made an issue in this election. Mm-hmm. Um, something like 78% of voters had it as one of their top issues and a quarter of voters in Virginia mm-hmm. had this as their main mm-hmm. sole focus going into the voting booth mm-hmm. this week. So CRT did play a role in the election. Now, mm-hmm. I want to be... Um, fair here. I don't think it's the only thing that swung the election. I think that's a lazy analysis. Um, I think that you had a not very good candidate in Terry McAuliffe. Um, I think you also have a set of issues the Democrats are focused on right now, including climate change, which we're going to talk about next week or in two weeks now, um, that are, are hard to really emphasize when people are looking at food prices skyrocketing, when they're looking at gas prices skyrocketing, those kinds of things. Democrats have a messaging problem, and that does not help them when they are in a contentious gubernatorial election like this. Nonetheless, CRT was made an issue by Terry McAuliffe and by his running mate, and and I think this is something that is a, a helpful um it's a helpful thing to discuss here and I don't live in Virginia, so I don't know what's being taught in schools, but I guess my question would be, um, why do people believe CRT is being taught in the schools? Mm -hmm. What are the specific issues that people are worried about being discussed in the schools with their kids? Um, and I ask because I never even heard of CRT until 2019. Uh, 2020 was when uh, I and half the world got accused of promoting CRT, even though we never studied it and never really read it. And, um, you know, it, it has become a, a real, uh, and this again, it, it does show my, my colors here a little bit, but it's become a boogeyman in the church. And I'm seeing that happening in national politics as well. Mm -hmm. And so I I guess it would be helpful if you could talk through what are the specific issues that people are scared of here that they're saying are CRT. Mm -hmm. And are they necessarily CRT or is it just a fair read of history? Like if we're just saying that 
the the U.S. Um, that the the U.S. Constitution, when originally written, was a racist document. I don't think we can deny that. Mm. I don't think we can and deny that. This, and I would I would push back hard on that. But you know, we may. Have I mean, to do it's that in it's got episode. the three fifths clause in it, right? Like the the three fifths clause, which needs to. I mean, it was amended. I'm not saying it it continues in that direction, but as it's written, it's got the three fifths clause in it. Manifest destiny is a is a deeply racist idea. Um, if that's what's being talked about, I don't think that's CRT. I think that's just teaching a, a, a perspective of history. So what are those specific issues mm -hmm. that people are saying that's CRT in the schools and we need to vote against right. it? And I think I'm going to step back, uh, you know, back from CRT and just look at this issue of race in general. And how is the, you know, again, because we do have this wretched history in, you know, in the U.S. with respect to racism um, that we should we should talk about honestly. Right. Um, and I, am fir I, I firmly believe that, it, you know, so the question is, so if CRT is we don't talk, we don't want to talk honestly about or I'm sorry, let me rephrase. If the opposition to CRT is CRT is we don't want to talk honestly about the history of this question that's one thing and i would say yes you're right that's a boogeyman but okay. is the is the but if the issue is how race is being addressed that's another question and i think it's more of the latter and let's i'm going to step back and just talk about how we look at this issue of race because there is a divide there is a, a a competing paradigm, if you will, in terms of how do we address racism? Well, under more of the classical liberalism model um, is to say, well, you know, you create the, the way the way to rid yourself of racism is to just treat people fairly. So there's more of a one-on-one, um, -on -one, more of the individual treatment, right? That's not to say, not to deny if there's systematic uh, racism. Uh, I'm sorry, we're talking systematic theology. Systemic, if there, you know, systemic racism, <laughs> sure, right? right yeah. What that is, how you define it, to what extent does it exist, um, you know, in our institutions? I would argue it's, I think that case is overblown. It's not that, especially when you look at cultural practices, is that still around? Yes, absolutely. But is there embedded into our, you know, into our laws, um, a a a an automatic discriminatory um, outlook? And I would say, for the most part, no. Well, and I think that's a mm -hmm. fair disagreement for people to have. But I don't think that the the argument in favor of systemic racism, or not in favor of it, but it, to the argument saying that systemic racism is still a thing, I don't think that that's CRT. Lots of non-CRT people are, are speaking well, about that. Well, I think, but and, I think that there is, but I think, but I think that there is a very close relationship, right? So a CRT is this analysis, and it did emerge out of the legal field, right? Right. It, it, it's, right. Um, this analysis about how race has worked in this country. And I am sorry, I forgot to turn off. Your voicemail's uh, going on. Uh, my voicemail. So we're just, <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking through it. I apologize. I tried to turn no that worries. Kind of thing off. But, anyways, <laughs> um, so, if, so let, me, let me back up. So, how we address race, right? Because there is, listen, I'm not going to deny that there is still racism. I'm not going to deny that there are people who hide behind the opposition to CRT to still hang on to prejudicial attitudes. And their discomfort is not so much because they're tired of hearing about it because they don't want to change. They don't want to, you know, there is, you know, do people like that ex exist? Absolutely. However, when it comes to this issue of race, do we, on one hand, do we pay less attention to it and pay more attention to how people are treated, right, on an individual basis, within our institutions, 
then we're putting less of an emphasis on race, right? And so this is what has been is being called colorblind the uh, uh, colorblind you know politics or colorblind a colorblind paradigm, which is not necessarily colorblind. It's not saying I'm not going to recognize your ethnicity or your race. It just, I'm just not going to let it influence how people should be judged, right? This is what colorblindness is. And I think that there are some very positive things to say about that, right? And especially if we're looking at, at it through a biblical lens, right? Show no partiality. On the other side, on the flip side, you have those, and I believe is very much being influenced by what has come out of CRT. So the question is, is CRT being taught in the schools? Well, not as a legal theory, but the ideas are certainly there that because of the, you know, the racial infrastructure of this country that was built on this power dynamic, um, that, you you know, that you're automatically, race is not neutral, and therefore you have to pay more attention to race. And now you have to implement um, practices and policies that will directly influence outcomes for those who were who have been historically marginalized, and this is there's and this is the difference, and it's a tension um, in how we handle race. So when it comes to the CRT fear, I don't I'm not going to necessarily say it's a boogeyman. The bigger question is how is race the issue of race being addressed in the schools? And so when you have um, curriculum that puts more of an emphasis on race, right, more of an emphasis on identifying white privilege and white supremacy, so that the lens that you're really looking at through life and teaching children how to look at is through this racial lens, this is what people are objecting to. This is what parents, by and large, are objecting to. Now, is a is a pocket of that because they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, but that but it doesn't mean you don't teach history honestly. Well, and I think that's that's where I'm getting hung up because um, we haven't taught history honestly. We just haven't. Like, how many people had heard about the Tulsa massacre until HBO put out a TV show about it? Like, these are major um, 20th century, even, racial events that have happened in the United States that nobody knows about. Nobody talks about the bombing of a tenement house in Philadelphia in the 80s. Nobody talks about that. Um, I mean, there are some major racial crimes that have taken place in the United States, and those stories are just now being told because people are finding their voice or being allowed, not even finding their voice, are being allowed to use their voice to tell these stories. And it is changing the way we understand American history to being a more honest read of American history. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. that we take all of that honest conversation about who we are and what we've done as a country I don't think we have to take it to a place where some will take it to say, well, therefore, we need to hate the United States. I don't think that's helpful in the slightest because I think we're called to love the country and support the country that we're in. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that it's helpful to say that these kinds of curriculums that are addressing race at a younger age maybe than people are comfortable with are inherently CRT and therefore need to be removed. I, I it's it feels like we were having these same conversations around the issue of affirmative action years ago about how we're we're trying to make sure that people who are historically oppressed have access to institutions of higher learning and stuff like that in ways that they hadn't before. Mm-hmm. And there were good strong debates around whether or not that was appropriate. That's not CRT. That's just a debate on how we re- how, how we reckon with the racial history of our country. And when we sweep all of the racial discourse under this umbrella of CRT, I find it thoroughly unhelpful mm-hmm. because it doesn't leave us with an option. It, it, it feels like we're being left with this choice. Either do things the way we've always been doing them, teach the way we've always been teaching, 
or use um, CRT. But I don't know that it is CRT. And rather than just saying, oh, well, CRT is trying to influence our schools, so we need to make sure that we somehow somehow that swings a gubernatorial election which still confuses me like i don't know how much impact right. the governor has on that but nonetheless um i we're left with this situation with uh where where we're not able to have the conversation well because as soon as people start trying to have the conversation they're labeled crt and it all falls apart and now i don't think it's fair to then turn around and say that Sears is is somehow a puppet for white supremacy. That's right. absurd. It is That's absurd. absolutely absurd. Um, but I do think that there is an absurdity in making all racial conversation in schools a product of CRT. Mm-hmm. That just seems unhelpful to me. And I don't know how we get past this impasse to being able to actually teach American history with some of the blinders off. Because when we went through school, the blinders were all the way on. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know either. I do know that CRT has become a bit of a shibboleth, if you will. Um, that it's, you know, how do you absolutely where do you where do you stand on race depends on where you stand on CRT, which to me is absolutely right. ludicrous. Again, it's, it's we we need to avoid that kind of lazy thinking. You can be against racism. Right. And against CRT. Now, the the bigger question is of, you know, is, you know, is CRT being taught in our schools? I would say the ideas are there. Um, and then there's another question, too. Of Yes, we we do need to be honest. But then. Outside of the home, because this really should be, you know, taught in the home in terms of, you know, um, in terms of being against racism, right? And we know that a lot of racial biases, racial prejudice, prejudices, it, you know, it's formed in the home, right? It's because of what, you know, the child sees in their parents or how their parents, um, you know, what they say about different groups. Um, so that has a lot to do with it. And then it comes, you know, and I'm not, an, I'm not an educator, so I can't really answer this question, but at what point do you at what point do you, do you address the issue and here's a here's a bigger concern that goes beyond the issue of race and what i am seeing in the broader culture in terms of the the things that the way that our our children are developing is that there is more of a a maturity framework that's being put on them at a younger age Right. And you can even look at, I mean, just go through Target or through a department store and look at the the little girl's clothing section, you know, and some of the clothing outfits that are designed for children um, that we're, we're wanting, ch- we're, we're imposing adult things on children and not allowing them to be children. So the question of, you know, how and when and how much you talk about race and in particularly the way race has worked in this country, you know, it, it, you know, is that educational trajectory just following the broader um, cultural trajectory in terms of, you know, what we're placing on kids? I mean, look, just look at the trans, what's going on with transgenderism and saying, well, children now have a, a four-year-old has the capacity to identify their gender. That's lud- like 10 years ago. We, somebody crazy, somebody said that 10 years ago. That would be ludicrous. But this is what there's an onus that is being put on children. I don't know that it's necessarily it's right, fair. Or I, would, I would go so far as to say moral. I don't necessarily disagree with that, especially when we get to issues of, of gender and sexuality. I mean, I, so I have two girls in the public school system and, that you know, um, younger and younger questions of sexuality and gender are being brought to the fore because, you know, in fourth grade, my daughter is dealing with kids in her class who are, quote unquote, coming out as if that's a thing that can happen in fourth grade. Right. So, like, I understand the concern around issues of gender and sexuality. I'm much more like, yes, let's talk that through. That's something that we need to, to work on with kids. But when I when I think about racism in the United States and when I think about the teaching of history, even even current events, I mean, 
Virginia is not just the home of Robert E. Lee. Virginia is also the home of Charlottesville. And and that's where I'm like, I, I understand not wanting to have these kids deal with racial issues at a super young age. But when Charlottesville is happening live on television, we lose the ability to say, oh, our kids don't need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And yes, I agree. We have to figure out how to do it well. And educators need to be the ones to lead on this. Um, and parents need to have a voice in that conversation, yes. no matter what Mr. Uh, McCullough yes. had to say about that. <laughs> But the conversation needs to be had, and I'm my concern is that when we when we throw everything under that shibboleth, I like that word for this, that shibboleth of CRT, then we have we have stymied ourselves. We're unable to actually um, have a productive conversation around this. And so, um, listen, it's a it's a hot button issue. It's a difficult conversation, but in the end. Two things that I want to say, and then I'll, I'll give you the last word, Lisa, because I always try and give you the last word. And you do, it's, and it's, you're it's, so it's gracious about it. it. Thank it's, you, by the way. <laughs> it's important. I, why not? Um, but two, two quick things that I want to put out there. First, one of the things that has to happen in our political discourse as Christians is we must not make the error of dehumanizing our opponents the way that Sears has been dehumanized by folks disagree with her politics that's fine you're a politician people get to disagree with you that's just how the game is played but don't get to dehumanize people that you disagree with and it has grieved me to see the way that sears has been treated by folks on the left it's just it's completely uh, not only is it um below the belt politically it's immoral it's wrong it's sinful and it needs to stop the dehumanizing of others cannot become the the bread and butter of american politics but more and more that is exactly what is um the issues are disappearing and it's nothing but uh attacks on character and and it's it's ugly the second thing though that i want to put out there because we we just had a a good spirited conversation around these issues um i I want to read you something that came up I, i mentioned this to you before uh we started recording lisa i i want to look at this um there was another election that took place this week, um, and it is an election that happened in, down in Nicaragua. And I want to read this to you from um, the Washington Post. Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega is posed to win a fourth consecutive term in office Sunday after wiping out all serious opposition in one of the most intense waves of political repression in Latin America since the 1980s. The election is the culmination of years of efforts by the 75-year-old former guerrilla leader to consolidate power. Since the spring, his government has arrested at least three dozen leading opposition figures, including seven potential presidential candidates on what are widely viewed as spurious charges. Hmm. And the article continues from there. Um, the, there is an episode of The West Wing, which we both love. It's called Hartsfield Landing. And there's a conversation that happens around a chessboard between President Bartlett and Toby, one of his advisors. And there's this line that takes place right at the end, and it cuts the commercial. So it's one of those kind of pump, you know, hits you in the mouth lines where the president looks at Toby. and They're talking about the ability to vote, the privilege of getting to vote. And President Bartlett looks at Toby and says, protect your queen. Voting in a free election is the crown jewel. It is the queen of American democracy. Mm -hmm. And while we can have spirited debate about this, and while we can go back and forth and disagree on an issue like CRT and its impact in the schools, the fact that we got an opportunity to go to our local fire station or a local school and vote for the people we wanted to vote for, to vote on propositions that we wanted to vote for. So here in New York, like it was all local elections and it was propositions. And I had to do a little bit of research because I, I don't know who necessarily they are. I don't know what the propositions are. So you've got to do a little bit of research and you go in and you vote. And that is an incredible privilege that we have. And we don't want to lose sight of that. And we also want to protect that right. And, uh, and we want to make sure that as we are having these debates, 
that our elections never get to a place where they look like a Nicaraguan election, right. where Daniel Ortega is able to simply jail all of his opponents so that he can have a fourth term. So um, in the debate and in the frustration around the way American elections are done, let's keep some perspective <laughs> on right. what it could be um, and be grateful for, for the privilege of living here in the United States and doing this. So yes. a little bit of flag waving from me, but I think it's appropriate because <laughs> it, appropriate. Is a, it is Very a joy. Because sometimes I think we can get so bogged down in these you know contentious debates that we do lose perspective. And I think even as, as, especially as the church, we are so focused on what's happening in America that we lose focus on, well, what's going on globally? You know, how do we fit in with what is going on, uh, what's going on globally? And it really helps when you look at that bigger picture to to give us some perspective and and hopefully some appreciation of what we actually do have. Amen. Amen. Well, Lisa, thank you for a spirited and I did say at the beginning, fearless conversation <laughs> uh, about events that happened last week in Virginia. Thank you all for being with us. We are back at the Covenant of Works next week, continuing our walk through the the different um, loci of systematic theology, talking about these different topics. Covenant of Works next week. It was a great conversation. Excited for you to hear it. Until then, we'll see you again next time from Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>